Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Looking at verses 9 through 13 this morning. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, Many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Oh Father, how we do pray that you would humble us, that you would humble our hearts. Lord, we see when we look inside of our hearts such a great tendency for us to try to justify ourselves at every imaginable point, to try to avoid admitting that we are wrong, avoid admitting our guilt, avoid admitting that we are the ones who have sinned. Lord, and we see that this this attitude has become so entrenched today. It has become uh, the, the common attitude of millions and millions of people perhaps even the dominant attitude in our land today. Lord, may it be that you would yet pour out your Spirit and by your Spirit convict many of sin, that many might see their sins and flee to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great physician, who heals all of our diseases, and who is the one who forgives all of our sins. For we ask all this in his name. Amen. One of the things we've seen in the Gospel of Matthew that is often actually very common in all the Gospels is that there are many stories, often involving the Pharisees, where those who are outwardly righteous, who appear to be those uh, who are the most religious, who appear to be, in the eyes of very many people, the most spiritually mature, that it is those people who are left outside of the kingdom, that they are not able to enter the kingdom of God, and yet those who are humble, those who are considered sinners, They are the ones who, in fact, get to go into the kingdom. Christ will later, for instance, say to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 21, tax collectors and harlots, tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. It's put very starkly again in Luke chapter 18, where in verses 9 through 14, the Lord Jesus Christ gives the the parable of uh, the, the tax collector and the Pharisee, that the Pharisee comes, he prays before God, and he says, You know, I thank you, O God, that I am not like this tax collector, for I fast twice a week. 
I do all of these things for you. I'm not like this other person. And yet then the Lord Jesus Christ says the tax collector, and by contrast, he will not even raise his head to heaven. And he just simply pleads out to God, Lord, please have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Lord Jesus Christ affirms for us, he declares to us that the tax collector is the one who went away to his home justified. Now, it's very often because of the Gospels, we, we tend to have a very negative view of the Pharisees. And that's, and that's right. They're, they're, they clearly were uh, wicked. And yet, we, often, we, 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 we need to keep in our minds that these were not people who would have been considered bad people by anyone in the society. They were the most righteous people. They were zealous for the law. They made an absolutely impeccable reputation before all the people. They were far more conservative than the Sadducees. They were theologically conservative. They believed in the resurrection from the dead. Uh, for instance, that they, they were not bad people by uh, any stretch of the imagination in terms of what you could see outwardly. And in fact, the Pharisees, the Pharisees uh, are the, the spiritual grandfathers, so to speak, of the modern-day Jews. They, they take their, their spiritual lineage from the Pharisees, and the rabbinic tradition comes out of the, the tradition of the Pharisees themselves. And so these were not people that were outwardly murdering others. They were not people who were going around and committing adultery openly. Uh, these were the people who were the most well-respected. But what is it then? Why is, was there such a great problem? All throughout all the Gospels, there is this great antagonism between the Lord Jesus Christ who doesn't sin at all, and these other people who appear to be quite righteous. Why is it that these people who appear to be quite righteous want nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Why, why is it that they oppose him at every turn? And the answer is they did not recognize that they themselves were sinners. They did not recognize that they themselves were sinners. Why is it then, as, as we hear, read here about Matthew's response to the call that the Lord Jesus Christ makes to him, and why is it that the Pharisees will never respond to such a call? The answer is Matthew recognized that he was a sinner. Matthew recognized that he was a sinner. And he greatly prized the ability to have his sins forgiven. And if that was the offer of the gospel, Matthew wanted it. The Pharisees did not think they needed to be forgiven of their sins. And therefore, the offer of the forgiveness of sins meant nothing to them. And this, brothers and sisters, is always a temptation. It's always a temptation. It's, it's easy for us to think this was only the Pharisees, and certainly I'm not like this. But brothers and sisters, this is always a temptation. There are many who will say, you know, I look at all these Christians, and I can see that I've done more than them. I, I'm, I'm more righteous in a number of ways. All these Christians, they are hypocrites. They do all these things that I know to be wrong, that they know to be wrong, and that I would never do. Surely... Surely, if this person could receive grace, if God's going to accept this person on the last day for all the, the, the crazy things that they've done, and I've done none of those things, surely God will also accept me. And I do not need this grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is always, brothers and sisters, a temptation. This is put very starkly in uh, one of the 18th century missionaries to the Indians from uh, one of the American missionaries whose name is David Brainerd. He has a very famous diary. Uh, he, he was uh, good friends with Jonathan Edwards. And this is one of the things that he said before he was converted. He says, you know, I look at others and David Brainerd would have been one who was zealous for God in some outward ways. He would have been at church. He would have done very many things for the Lord, but he knew in his heart that he was not truly resting in the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather resting in himself. And this is one of the things that he said. You know, he says, I, 
I look at all these other people who have received grace, and I could see that I had done more than all of them. I had done more than all of them. And this became for him a great temptation. How is it that they can receive this grace, and yet I not receive this grace? Ultimately, brothers and sisters, this is the mindset of the legalist. It is the mindset of those who boast in their own works. Now, that, that's, those are some examples from uh, history and from the first century of how this attitude plays out. It can sometimes be difficult to trace the connections to today, though. And as I mentioned in, in the opening prayer, this kind of view, this kind of attitude of self-righteousness is incredibly common today. It is unbelievably common today. It is one of the greatest barriers to the reception of the gospel today. You think of all the ways in which the society, which our culture, is so opposed to the gospel. And you'd ask, you know, why is it? And there could be a number of things that we could say in, in terms of why society today, why the culture generally is so opposed to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the things, one of the great things is that society today is absolutely convinced of its own righteousness. It is absolutely convinced of its own righteousness. So you think of those who are most hostile to, to Christianity today. They're most, ironically also, this is the group that's also the most adamant and zealous to promote things that are openly sinful, that are, have, that are related to, to great debauchery. You think of, for instance, uh, uh, the LGBTQ movement, or you think of uh, those who are basically advocating for a kind of lawlessness, the, the destruction of basic law and order. There are those who are trying to overthrow all the classic virtues of society. There are those who are, uh, who are demanding that we recognize the righteousness of the slaughter of millions of unborn children in the womb. But what's, what's then ironic is that all of these groups end up also being the most critical, the most critical of every single generation that came before them, declaring themselves to be righteous, and everyone else who came before them to be unbelievably uh, uh, wicked. We see this, for instance, with the, the desire to tear down statues today, where there is this, this arrogance to say, we are absolutely right, and everyone that came before us is of such great wickedness that we cannot even honor their memory. Even if we admit that they did some things wrong, we are so embarrassed by their past wickedness that we must destroy even the memory of them even the memory of them. That is the extent to which this particular generation is self-righteous. There is a condemnation of everything outside of itself. And the reason for this, brothers and sisters, is because the culture, the, the, the world today, is unable to see its own sin. It is completely blind to its own sin. It believes itself to be righteous, and therefore, it is very, very quick to point out the sins of others. This is also the reason why today there is such an emphasis on, on the victim mentality, the idea being that, you know, all these things have happened, uh, this or that group is, is struggling with this or that thing, but all of the problems are never the sins of those within the culture. It is always, it is always something that has been done to people. It's, it's always because uh, someone has done something to me. So even as there are people who commit crimes, they'll then say, well, I may have done this, but ultimately it's because some kind of historic injustice has been done to me. That's the, really the reason why all these things are happening. And even as people are committing crimes then, they are also setting themselves up as being a self-righteous kind of person, de denying the righteousness uh, of everyone who came before and saying, I have, even as I commit great crimes, I have no need for the forgiveness of sins. 
And this, brothers and sisters, is such a strong, it's such a strong uh, perspective in the culture today that if you were to contradict it, you would immediately be labeled as a bigot, as someone who is, who is unbelievably hateful. And yet, brothers and sisters, it is, it is precisely at this point that the gospel must be proclaimed to the world. And it is exactly at this point that there is a great temptation for you as well, that if you embrace the mentality of this culture, this is what it will lead to. It will lead to a hardness whereby you believe yourself to be righteous and therefore you will have no need for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it though that the Lord Jesus Christ says? He says, I am the one who, have come, who has come not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. He has come to forgive those who recognize their own sins. He even will say, and this is the reason why the church is always persecuted in, in the Gospel of John, the reason why the world hates me is because I testify about the world that its deeds are evil. The world will hate it, but those who, like Matthew, the tax collector, understand that they are sinners, they are the ones who will embrace the gospel, and they are the ones who will receive the forgiveness of sins. Now, the context in, with this particular passage is very, very significant and very, very important. One of the things that we uh, see with, with regard to the, the, the context here is that this calling of Matthew comes immediately after the healing of the paralytic, where the Lord Jesus Christ, in his authority, is shown to be the one who has the authority to forgive sins. So the forgiveness of sins is already uh, the, the emphasis according to the context. And the context becomes even more significant as we consider that in all of the synoptic gospels, so you think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are, is the same order with regard to the healing of the paralytic, then the call of Matthew, and then the questions about, about fasting. Those, that's, those set of three passages always come in the exact same order. And this is significant because if you remember, Matthew is not ordering the events according to chronology. He's ordering the events in chapters 8 and 9 according to uh, theme and topic. The, the theme and topic in chapters 8 and 9 is that the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely sovereign and authoritative in everything. And he is the one who's done many miracles to prove that. That's what he's, that's what he's showing in chapters 8 and 9. Now, the miracles that he's recording are not necessarily in chronological order. And yet, Matthew retains this same order of these three passages. And then the other Gospels particularly Luke, who says that he is recording all the events in chronological order, he himself shows that these three passages all go together. And so we have to, especially with this particular passage, understand the, the passage in its context. All of the gospel writers, uh, besides John, all the synoptic gospel writers, uh, are wanting to make this point that Matthew, Matthew received the call from the Lord Jesus Christ well because he understood having seen that Christ healed the paralytic, that forgiveness of sins was possible if one believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the thing that caused Matthew to receive the, the call well. And so the, the, the basic point then of this passage is that Christ has come all those, he's come to call all those who understand that they have sin, that they're sinners, and that they have a great need of him that those are the people that he has in fact come to call. So we'll look at this passage under two headings. We'll consider first the call of Matthew, verses 9 and 10. And then we'll consider, uh, secondly, the challenge of the Pharisees, his Christ's association with sinners in verses 11 through 13. Just like 
in the healing of the paralytic, there is this divergence between two groups. There are those who oppose Jesus and there are those who receive him well. And Matthew continues to uh, show the difference between these two groups. Matthew receives the call, but then the Pharisees, the Pharisees challenge the Lord Jesus Christ and are unwilling to come to him. So let's look then at verses 9 and 10 again as we consider the call of Matthew. And this, this is particularly in verse 9. Now, as I mentioned, the great thing that we must keep in mind about the call is that it is to be understood as coming in context with the, the healing of the paralytic. So again, the reason why Matthew as a tax collector follows the Lord Jesus Christ when Christ gives him the command is because he has just seen that he can receive forgiveness of sins if he does in fact follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, tax collectors in this day were considered some of the worst sinners. As I mentioned earlier in Matthew chapter 21, uh, when Christ will say to the Pharisees, you know, tax collectors and harlots enter into the kingdom of God before you. There, notice, tax collectors are paired with harlots. That's the, the level of sin uh, that we are talking about when we talk about the tax collector. And the reason for this is, is really for a number of reasons. Uh, first, they were considered traitors. Uh, they were Jews who were helping the Roman government and its tyranny over the Jews to basically amass wealth for itself and to oppress the Jews through, uh, through uh, over-taxation. And so there was already, just from that one thing, uh, a, a great kind of sin uh, that, is, that, is, that is present, that all the people believed that these people were great traitors. But then secondly, as well, tax collectors were allowed to keep, generally, anything above the required taxation for themselves. And so not only is it just by the very occupation going to be something that is a, a traitorous sort of occupation. It's also a very greedy occupation that is rife with corruption and other violations of the Eighth Commandment. People were, were then using this to, to rich, enrich themselves uh, on, uh, by basically stealing from their fellow countrymen. And this stealing then also leads to the continued tyranny of the people of God under foreign rule. And so this is the kind of person that Matthew is. But now Matthew sees being struck by, uh, his, by his own sins, he now sees he is able to receive the forgiveness of sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Christ then says, your sins are forgiven to the paralytic because you believe, and then Christ then comes to Matthew and says, come follow me, he understands that he, can, he has the opportunity to leave his life of sin and to receive a full pardon, a full forgiveness of sins uh, if he follows the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that you'll notice about this call is that it's very succinct. It's, it's very, uh, very short. There's not really a lot of details that are given to us regarding, uh, you know, what Matthew was thinking, what were all the words that Jesus said, what were uh, any kind of other actions that he took. And the reason for this is not to suggest that there were basically no other details. It's not the point of, uh, of this particular verse. Uh, one of the things that we see is that this, is, this verse is modeled after the calling of the first disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Now, I know it's been uh, quite a long time since we were in uh, that portion of Matthew's gospel. But if you remember, the reason why the, reason why the Lord Jesus Christ and his call is recorded with such brevity is not because that was the only thing that happened. Uh, Luke actually records with the, with the calling of Simon Peter a much more expansive version where really what, what, what happened was uh, there was a, a miracle that happened with regard to fishing. Peter had caught no fish. 
Jesus says, take me out in the boat with you. They catch a bunch of fish. And then it's when they see, when Peter sees all the fish coming in, that he then says, you are the son of God. And that's the fuller account of, of the calling of Peter. Matthew only records just basically uh, the call and the response. And the reason for that is, the reason for the terseness is basically to show what kind of response is necessary from you when the Lord Jesus Christ calls you. And that is to say, the response must be a response without hesitation, without deliberation, with no second guessing. It must be immediate, and it must be such that you are willing to leave everything for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. There were certainly other details that happened. And yet, the point is, Christ called, Matthew responded. Christ called, Matthew responded. And that, brothers and sisters, is always the way the gospel is to be. The gospel is preached, you are called to respond. There may be other details that happen, but the most significant thing is, and the thing that Matthew wants to highlight, is when the gospel call goes out, do you respond to it? Those who respond to it are those who, in fact, do receive the forgiveness of sins as Matthew does. Now, what is it that Matthew does when he receives this? Well, we, we see here in verse 10 that he actually throws a feast for the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we know from uh, other gospels that this is something that, that Matthew does for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's quite excited about him becoming a disciple of Christ. Now, this is very significant in light of the fact that in order for Matthew to receive this call, he would have had to give up quite a lot. He was giving up his way of life, which was a way of life that enabled him to become quite wealthy. He would have been able to amass a, a, quite a lot of worldly uh, gain by his employment as a tax collector. And so he's giving that up clearly to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive the forgiveness of sins. And then what he does next shows the extent to which he values the forgiveness of sins. Is he sorrowful that he has to give up his way of life and perhaps now be poor? as he follows the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he sorrowful for that or does he rejoice? And the answer is, he clearly rejoices. This shows the extent to which uh, Matthew prizes the forgiveness of sins. He's very much like the person that the Lord Jesus Christ will describe in Matthew chapter 13, who, who uh, when the man finds a treasure hidden in a field, he goes and sells everything he has and with joy, purchases that one field because he knows if I have that field, it does not matter whatever else I, I, I lose out on. If I have the field where the kingdom of God is hidden, then I know that I have everything. And brothers and sisters, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel. If you're to ask what kind of situations cause uh, someone to receive the gospel with such joy that they can be willing to lose, lose everything, and still be happy in the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer is, those who understand that when they receive the gospel, they have been forgiven of a lot of sins. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ says in the gospel of Luke, those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. Now, everyone has been forgiven much if they've come to the Lord Jesus Christ. What actually causes there to be a great love to the Lord is if you understand the extent to which you have, in fact, been forgiven. If you understand this, then you can say easily, with, uh, as it says in, in the great hymn, were the whole realm of nature mine, 
were everything in all of creation mine, that would be an offering far too small. And so, brothers and sisters, as, as we consider the calling of the gospel, which is done by the preaching of the word, the question to ask yourself this morning is this, do you receive the gospel as Matthew does? If you were to lose everything, your way of life, for the sake of the gospel, would you consider it like giving up uh, all that you have to gain a great treasure that's hidden in a field? And would you be able to do it even with joy? Do you receive the forgiveness of sins with this kind of joy? This, this is the way that Matthew received it. And he received it because he understood that he himself was a sinner. Now, if you do not receive the gospel like this and ask yourself this, are you, do you regularly try to justify yourself when you do something that in your conscience you know is wrong? How, how often when you think about your own actions do you try to make excuses for the things that you do? Or ask it in a different way. When was the last time that you admitted to somebody that you were wrong? Not that you got upset because someone did something to you. When was the last time that you admitted that you were wrong? That, that you did something wrong to them? Or even just consider the difference between how often is it that you will complain about the actions of another person towards you versus how often you will admit to another person that you yourself are wrong, that you yourself have sinned. Or to think of it even, even more pointedly, how often do you try to excuse yourself before God versus repenting of your sins before God, admitting to God that you have sinned against him? You see, brothers and sisters, the way that you can have the joy that Matthew has as he received the gospel is by recognizing that you yourself have sinned, that you yourself have sinned. It is the ungodly, unbelieving perspective of this world always to justify yourself whenever you've done anything. That is the way that the world always operates and will always operate. It's the reason the world hates the Lord Jesus Christ. If your love for the Lord Jesus Christ is cold, then consider how often is it that you repent of your sins before the Lord Jesus Christ? And then to go even beyond that, then to marvel at the fact that Christ came to die, that your sins might be forgiven. Your joy in the gospel directly correlates to your understanding of the forgiveness of sins. A lack of joy in Christ means there is a lack of understanding the true extent to which you yourself have been forgiven. And those who do not understand the forgiveness of sins because they're always trying to justify themselves, they are exemplified greatly by the Pharisees. And so as this great banquet happens in verse 10, the Pharisees come and there is this opposition that they give to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the exact opposite of Matthew. They are unwilling to recognize their own sins. And so notice then there is this question that is addressed. Notice that the question in verse 11 is addressed not to Christ, but to, to the disciples. Now, uh, one of the things that we've seen throughout uh, Matthew's gospel to this point is that there is a, a kind of growing opposition from the Pharisees, but it's not out in the open yet. It's not going to be an, an outward opposition yet. Notice in the healing of the paralytic that we looked at last week, notice that there Christ responds to the challenge that came from their thoughts. They weren't willing to speak out the things that they thought before him. And here too, they're unwilling to ask Jesus himself about why he does certain things. They're willing to ask his disciples, but they're unwilling to ask him. And this is one of the things that we'll see all throughout the Gospel of Matthew is that the opposition from the Pharisees grows and grows and grows. But as of now, 
they themselves are not, uh, are not willing to, uh, to address the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice when, when Christ responds to them, though, he doesn't, he, he doesn't ask his disciples. He doesn't let his disciples answer on his behalf. He himself is willing to address the opposition of the Pharisees immediately, uh, just as he does with the healing of the paralytic. But notice then, what is the question that they ask? They ask this, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, this appears to be a challenge on, to Christ, particularly an assault on his character. The idea is, if you were really righteous, or if your teacher was really righteous, surely he would know what kind of company he's keeping. And, and if, this, if he understood this, then he would not be with these people. He is basically defiling himself by being with these kinds of people. Now, what this showed was, uh, uh, was that the Pharisees themselves, they were those who were often quite embarrassed by being with others whom they did not perceive to be as righteous as they were. And this, brothers and sisters, is a great test to think about uh, whether or not your heart is being hardened before God. Are you embarrassed to be with certain people from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because you believe in, you, in your heart, that it's something you would maybe never say, but yet that you act out in the way that you live. You believe that you're better than they are. This is the way that, that the Pharisees thought. This is the way that they operated. It will hurt our reputation if we are seen to be with people like this. And it's clearly hurting your reputation, Jesus. Why is it that you are doing this? These people are not worthy. They are not worthy. And therefore, then, they separate themselves for others. Is a sure sign of ungodly pride, brothers and sisters. If you distance yourself from those who have repented of their sins because you think, you know, uh, this person, they really do not have it together. And if I'm seen with this person, uh, it will go poorly for me. People will not think as highly of me. And perhaps, you know, this, this may not ever happen in the church in the sense of like when we gather, but this could very well happen outside the church. If you, if you see someone from the church and you're outside of the church, or maybe if you see another Christian who's not even a part of this church, do you separate yourselves from that person because you think, you know, uh, this person, they may be a Christian, but, you know, the way they worship God, they don't, they don't, they're not as theologically tight as I am. If I'm seen with this person, it won't look good on me, and therefore you separate yourself. That is great evidence of self-righteousness. Now, we believe very strongly in the way that we worship. We believe that it comes, it comes from the Scriptures. We've sought out the Scriptures with great zeal to try to have our worship be uh, as biblical as possible. And yet, brothers and sisters, anyone who calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ, anyone who calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ is truly a brother and sister in Christ for whom Christ died, of which we can, of, of, of meaning of any of them, we can never be ashamed we must always receive them as the Lord Jesus Christ himself receives them. Remember David Brainerd before his conversion. This is exactly what he thought. I have done more than all of these. I've done better than all of these. This is the heart of the unbeliever. Now notice what the Lord Jesus Christ says in his response. Again, though the question is asked to the disciples, Christ responds immediately. And the first thing he says is that those he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The idea is the Lord Jesus Christ has come as a physician to heal the soul, not just outwardly healing people, but to heal the affliction of the soul. And the affliction of the soul is the affliction of sin. Now, as I mentioned, 
he, the Lord Jesus Christ makes it very clear that the Pharisees themselves are not actually righteous. If you have any doubts about this, read Matthew 23. Think of, and, and read all the woes that Christ pronounces on the Pharisees because of their sin. He's not saying that he believes that the Pharisees are righteous, but they do believe themselves to be righteous. And that's what he means when he says, I have not come to call, that those who are well have no need of a doctor. Those who believe themselves to be well are those who have no need of a doctor. Those who understand themselves to be sick, they are the ones who have need of a doctor. And even the Lord Jesus Christ will actually say that the Pharisees, because of their sins of self-righteousness, are actually uh, quite, quite bad. They're quite sinful. He'll call them the children of the devil in the Gospel of John. John the Baptist himself calls them a brood of vipers. That is the descendants of offspring and serpents, like the devil. So it's not that, they, that these people are righteous. They believe themselves to be righteous, and therefore Christ has not come for them. He has come for the people who understand that they are sick, and that, those, that their sickness is a spiritual condition because of their sin, and that they need to be healed by the physician himself, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice in the second thing he says to them. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is a quote from uh, Hosea 6.6. 6. The, 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 uh, the, the full verse says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So one of the things that, that was going on at the time of Hosea in the 8th century BC, that the people of God were worshiping God and they believed themselves to be righteous because they did everything outwardly correctly. And yet God tells them over and over again, all of your worship is a burden to me. It's a burden to me. I do not accept any of it. And the reason is because God says, I desire mercy. I desire steadfast love. I desire the actual inward heart of love rather than these outward things. And so Isaiah will say it around the same time. He'll say, you know, I, I, uh, I am wearied by all of your new moon festivals, by all of these, these festivals that you keep. You're, you're doing them technically, but I am weary of all of them. And, and I even wish, as another prophet will say, oh, that you would shut the temple doors and stop bringing these sacrifices to me because you are bringing them to me with a heart that has not been transformed, a heart that does not truly love. You think of even, this is the reason why uh, David will say something very similar. You know, David, the, the one who's called the man after God's own heart, Psalm 51, he is uh, convicted of the sin of adultery. And what does he say? He says, Lord, sacrifices and burnt offerings you have not desired. You've, you've not desired, or else I would have brought them. But he, he humbles himself in his heart before God. And he says, then, then God will receive these sacrifices before God. Uh, he'll receive the sacrifices from him. That the sacrifices are subservient to the change of the heart. You think of Saul, uh, the, the king before David, who got this exactly wrong. He, got, he turned it exactly on its head. He disobeys God out of uh, a, a uh, showing his heart that does not really love God and then tried to justify himself by then offering sacrifices to God with the animals that he had gotten because he didn't kill them because he was disobedient to God. So he took his disobedience and tried to use that disobedience in order to serve God. And what did Samuel say? He says, you know, God desires obedience rather than sacrifice. There, you actually have to listen to God out of a heart that loves God. There needs to be an inward, true obedience and love for God rather than simply the outward. And if you give the outward without the inward, as happened all the way throughout Old Testament history and was happening even in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, God hates that religion. 
He hates it. He absolutely does not receive it at all. So the Lord Jesus Christ says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You Pharisees are doing outwardly the things that make you appear to be righteous, but you have no mercy in your heart. You have no love for others. You have no love for God. And because of that, God spurns you. He will not receive you on the last day. Now, brothers and sisters, ask yourselves this. Now, again, we, we here in, in, our, in the OPC, you know, we have a reputation for thinking very carefully about theology, dotting all of our I's, crossing all of our T's, thinking about very small questions that are important, and we try to get them right. We have a reputation for doing this and that, so, that, so that even other denominations will look to the OPC for guidance on certain issues. And yet, brothers and sisters, if that is all that you have, the Lord is not pleased with your worship. It does not matter that you get every single thing right. If you get every single thing right and have not love in the heart, then you are a Pharisee. You are a Pharisee. The Pharisees got everything right in this sense. They got everything right externally and yet had nothing of the inward change of the heart. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ desires mercy and not sacrifice. And the reason, as he says at the end of verse 13, is he has come to call the, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The heart comes from recognizing that you've been forgiven of your sins. Christ has come for those people. Those who have only the outward form of religion, but without the inward change of the heart. They are the ones who are, in fact, like the Pharisees. And here, brothers and sisters, that there is such a great danger. The Pharisees tried to justify their actions by clinging to their orthodox religious practices. And that is the same temptation that is before you. That you, you know there are sins in your heart that you have to deal with, sins that your conscience pricks you on. You say, I'm okay, though, because I'm a part of a church that's faithful. You are, not, you are not okay because you are part of a church that's faithful. You are okay because you repent of your sins and you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. A anything short of that is insufficient. You have to have the, the heart. You cannot have the outward form, even if the outward form is in fact correct. If not, you are just like the Pharisees and you will find yourself more and more, even as you profess to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, actually to oppose him in your heart such as the heart of all those who seek to justify themselves. And make no mistake, this is a great tendency of the human heart. It is a great tendency of the human heart always to excuse yourself for everything that happens in your life, all the things that you do, to call them always the fault of somebody else. Such is the unbelieving world, and such is the heart of all those who in the end will not receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. Do not allow this, this kind of heart of bitterness spring up in your heart. Bitterness towards the Lord Jesus Christ that we find in the Pharisees. But humble yourself. Search your heart. Ask God to reveal all of your sins in all of its depth. Look at your own sins. Honestly, own them. Confess them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider your inability to do anything righteous apart from, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit yourself to the judgment of God where he declares that if he were to judge you for your sins without Christ, that you would be condemned rightly and spend an eternity in hell. Agree with all that and then turn to Christ, receive the forgiveness of sins and be saved. 
This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you for the mercy and the grace that you have shown to sinners. Lord, when we consider our own sins, Lord, we, we can confess with Jacob that we are unworthy of even the least of your blessings, even the very least of them, O oh God. But when we think that in your son Jesus, you have given us mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace, gift upon gift, such that, Lord, we can honestly say that your grace is beyond comprehension. It is beyond our comprehension. And that, Lord, even if we just consider the forgiveness of sins, which is one among many, many gifts that you have given to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, to grow in our love for you. Reveal to us the depth of our sins, that we might grow in repentance, and that by growing in repentance we might grow in love. Forgive us for the hardness of our hearts. But Lord, please do not leave us in this hardness. But may your spirit convict us. May we always be quick to confess our sins to you. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart, that through the preached word your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.